called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've, you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Thank you, brother. Heard you're moving to Wyoming? Okay. I was sad when I heard that this morning. Diego's a good man, grateful for uh, who he is. Um, I want you to turn right now, and it's not going to appear on the screen, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, I've often wondered what Peter thought about on those days between his denial and this breakfast. Um, Probably one of the most consistent voices I've heard in my head actually is from this text in uh, in Matthew's Gospel, the words of Jesus. I don't know what words of Jesus you hear on a regular basis, um, but in a very strong sense, these are kind of the words that I hear. Um, I cannot think of a time in which I have said to somebody, Like, I am not a follower of Jesus. I don't know him. But I do know times where I didn't stand up like I should have. Um, Some call it junior high and high school. And it was so hard for me because I was such a strong believer up through the seventh grade, like public, inviting people to church, um, just sharing my conviction so deeply. And, and then all of a sudden, maybe it was because we moved and it was a new place and I was trying to make friends and 
Maybe it's just what happens when you're in that 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. I so desperately wanted to be liked and to be popular. And, and so again, my church attendance was strong. And I wasn't rebelling against anyone. I was just trying to figure out. And I was just playing this game in my own head. And the sad part is, is that other people were watching me play this game. Just trying to manage my, my walk with Christ. Somebody would call it the double standard, and some people would call it hypocrisy. The more that I study, I've had to work this out in my life. I don't think it was hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy is when you like claim one thing and then knowingly go against it. But I have to admit, it might have been that. I don't think it was, but it might have been that. But it definitely was weak. And I remember people inviting me to be a part of things that I shouldn't want to be a part of. And, and, and hear me, you'd be so proud of me. I usually didn't go with them. Instead, I just made up excuses as to why I couldn't go. Is that a win? Again, I never said I don't know him or I'm not a believer. I never said that. I just, I wanted to play the middle. And I have spent a lot of time, sometimes weeping, wondering if I, if I did this. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's already described, that, described to them that as you are known to be related to me, to be connected to me, to be a part of my mission, you're going to face adversity which I, I bet you was a shock to them because Jesus hadn't really yet experienced a lot of that. Like the vast majority of people were interested in him and the work that he was doing, but, but, but things were going to change. And Jesus is telling them, you're going to have to deal with this. And then he says this in verse 32. Therefore, in light of the don't be afraid, if you look at verse 31, don't be afraid. God's gonna take care of you, don't be afraid. Yes, you're going to go through adversity, but don't be afraid. And there I am, sitting on this yellow bus. These two girls, I still remember their names, asking me if I wanted to go to a party. You know, I just, I can't. But no, 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 not because I'm a follower of Jesus or anything. I'm just going to be busy this weekend. You ever done that? I'm terrified by these two 11th grade girls that I so want like, to be popular with, right? But I didn't say what I wanted to say. I just sat there on that green seat with that white trim around it. I still remember just staring at it and just going, what is wrong with you? Then Jesus says, therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father and a daughter against his mother, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The one who loves a father or a mother or their own popularity because it's called high school more than me is not worthy of me. I, I added a little bit in there because I just 
Jesus didn't say that, but I, I, I think that's a good application of it. I, I remember trying to play this game with this text. Well, I, I, I like my parents. <laughs> no, no arguments there. Well, the time will come when all of us are going to have to choose our loyalties. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. That's the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And again, I've never, ever once in my life, like, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ, but I spent too many years, and it just hurts, trying to play the middle. And and Jesus, with Jesus, there isn't a middle. You're either for me or against me. And whoever denies me, I will deny before my Father. Jesus, I'm ready to die with you, Peter said. I'm I'm ready to go go on a cross, whatever it is. Like, I'm ready to do this. And Jesus turns to him and says, truly I tell you. That's a key word. Truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. No. No, not with the passion that I have right now. Not, not, not with the devotion and the dead, not in this moment. Kind of like me in the seventh grade. I just couldn't imagine cowering on the back of a school bus. Couldn't imagine it. Give yourself some time. You'll be there. Couldn't imagine it. And then Peter finds himself kind of uh, trapped in a crowd when when the trial is going on and and people are accusing him, aren't you a Galilean? You talk like him, I saw you with him. No, I'm not, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know the man. I, I don't want to be associated with him. Denying him once, denying him twice. The third time he denies him, John records, he's standing around a charcoal fire. The word appears twice in the Greek New Testament both in John's gospel. Peter's warming himself by a charcoal fire, most likely just outside Caiaphas' residence. And a young girl says to him, want to go to a party? And so I hear it sometimes. No, she says, I, I know you. You're, you're with him. And he just flat out denies it. And the rooster crows. And all of a sudden, he's got to deal with the fact that what Jesus said in Matthew is now happening in front of him. And I've wondered about just the next few days. If you think about it, at first, it's like, oh, I'm so disappointed. I really, I shouldn't have fallen asleep. And and then there was that denial thing, and he's dead, and I can never make up for this. And oh, just, you know, the weight of it all. And then... He comes back from the dead. So now you really got to deal with it. Um, What is it going to be like when I see him again? I've heard reports. And and it's interesting that all of the accounts have Peter, unlike Judas, with the other disciples, associating with them, going out where John's gospel, Peter like runs out to the tomb to see what's going on. It's like he's eager to see him again, which is interesting. Because when I, when I really blow it, 
Sometimes God is the one I want to talk to the least. Are you like that? Kind of looking at your sin, feeling the weight of it, the shame, the failure of it all. Church is the last place I want to be. Life group is the last place that I want to go. Those who are closest to me are the last people I want to see right now because of what I've done. Peter stays engaged. I think there's something to that. And and yet, in every account that we see, he, he doesn't seem to be running. He doesn't seem to be hiding. He seems to remain in this pursuit of Jesus, which is interesting. Obviously, he must have known at some level like what Jesus was going to be like, I wonder sometimes, and this is why it's good to have in our mind the words of Jesus Christ. I, I think it's good for us. It was good for me to be taught. I'm grateful for my, my Sunday school teachers that taught me Matthew chapter 10. Do not deny Jesus. Do not deny Jesus. Do not deny Jesus. By the way, it didn't keep me from not denying him. But it did remind me of the importance of moments like that. And I think those are good words for us to remember. I think Jesus is serious when he says it. I don't think he's kidding around. It doesn't matter if you want to associate with me or not. No, I think those words are true. The one who denies me before others, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. I'm just grateful that those aren't the last words that Jesus says. There's more to the story that we see with Peter. I think that's why I like the fact that John chapter 20 doesn't end the gospel. There's truly commentators think it's interesting because it's almost like he ended it last week, right? These things are written so that you might believe and by believing you might have life in his name. It sounds like the end of the gospel. And then we pick up in chapter 21 and it's almost like this throwback moment where all of a sudden we actually see Jesus just being Jesus again. The disciples are being the disciples. Jesus is being Jesus. And here we have Jesus. Look at verse 4 of the text. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, he called out to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. This literally could have come from so many different places in the gospel. Jesus talking to his disciples, what do they do? Well, they're fishermen. They're fishing. Jesus, what's he doing? He's just standing on the shore talking to them. Hello, young men. Any fish? No, we don't have any fish. They're having this conversation. And they have no idea who he is. Jesus says in verse 6, he said this before to them, by the way. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he said to them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one that Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter as they're catching the fish, I've been here before. I know who he is. Isn't it interesting? Here is Jesus with this few moments before he is going to ascend and go to the Father and, and, and what you and I probably would have done, and this reminds me of so many things that I would have done that Jesus didn't do. I probably would have had like a series of meetings, 
okay, guys, we're gonna be, I'm gonna be leaving soon, and so there's a bunch of stuff, so make sure that you bring your clay tablets, make sure that you bring some kind of writing stylus, because I got a whole bunch that I need to remind you of. Now, he said that the Holy Spirit would remind them of everything that he had taught them in John's Gospel. Hey, guys, just a few more warnings that I wanna give you. There's some things you'd really need to be careful about. Like, I can just imagine how I would have handled those few days with them. Or if I was the disciples, I don't know if I would have let him go. I understand why Mary is, again in John's gospel, clinging to him. Please don't leave me again. Jesus, don't, don't cling to me. I'm, I'm returning to the Father. And, and what is Jesus doing with the disciples? Teaching them how to fish? Wow. It, it, it is just so interesting to see just this consistent, I think we can see in this like a consistent patience. And I think there is a consistent life goes on to be life. One thing I love about the Bible is that it's not weirdly spiritual. It's life enriching, it's life infecting spirituality. It fundamentally changes. Not just how you fish, but what you do with those fish. Like it, it literally infects everything. Instead of us having these divided and segmented moments in our life where here I am being a Christian and then here I am being and then here I am being. No, 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 no. Jesus is just, what is he doing today? He's teaching them how to fish, talking to them, going for a walk. Jesus is living out the Deuteronomy promise. Talk about God wherever you are and with whatever you're doing, moms and dads, listen up. Let, let your life be this constant reminder of who you are. I don't think it's a mistake that John is highlighting that in one of the most normal and mundane situation, Jesus reveals himself and, and then he just keeps on going. So they, they come back and again, I would have just, okay, now that you're here, I'm glad that you're here. Sit down, I've got something for you. You know, Jesus says, we're gonna have breakfast now. John records the story of them having breakfast. Look, look at verses 12 through 14. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came and he, have you seen him do this before? He came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did with the fish. Bread and fish. Yeah, Jesus did that, multiplied it. Now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And Jesus appears to them, not panicked, not worried. The same that Jesus always was. The same that Jesus always is. Actively pursuing, engaging every single one of us in real life, in real time, interacting with us. It is so good for us to be reminded that our lives are not segmented, our lives are not divided, our lives are integrated with God in terms of who he is and with us in terms of who we are. And there is Peter sitting there, and I don't know what he's thinking. Obviously, he's, he's had a couple of encounters with them, so you have to believe he's got to be wondering, I wonder if Jesus is ever going to bring up that whole denying him three times thing. 
And as Jesus just continues to be Jesus, what I love is Peter just continues to be Peter. Now, by the way, I've really learned my lesson. I'm not a big fan. I heard a preacher say it one time, and I was so convicted by it. He said, we really should be more careful just kind of running down the apostles. You've heard preachers just kind of just absolutely bash on Peter or bash on Thomas. I'll never forget this one preacher said, I really think that when most of us get to heaven, Peter's going to want to come up to us and just punch us in the throat for the bad things that we've said about him. Truly, right? You've heard it. Oh, you know, Peter. You mean the one the Lord chose, the one the Lord called, the one that gave the pen? No, 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 the rash guy. Oh, that's what you want to be known as? It's like Thomas, which is interesting. Thomas is mentioned in this text too. Thomas and Peter. Two very, very, very faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Do you think he's going to bring it up? I don't know if he's going to bring it up. You still dealing with it? Well, I know he's forgiven me, but it's just hard. Like, I can, I can still smell the charcoal fire. Did you see it in the text? Again, I, I think something's happening here. The third time Peter denies Jesus, he's standing around a charcoal fire. I don't think this is an accident. And there they are, warming themselves by a charcoal fire again. And I don't think I'm reading, I'm really worried about this, because I don't want to be one of those preachers that's always reading into it. I think there's enough indications that make me think Jesus is drawing attention to it in a very real, in a very pertinent way, and yet very gracious. What he doesn't say is, Peter, you do remember you failed me, right? You better not fail me again. Is that what you do when someone has failed you? Remind them of their failure? Scold them, warn them, underline the disappointment? Unable to forget or forgive? No. Okay, so you're just going to do the other thing? Just pretend it didn't happen? You're not gonna, not gonna talk about it? You're not gonna, we're just gonna act like nothing happened? It's really interesting. The two ways you know you're not dealing with something, you've heard me say this before, I'm quoting the great church father Augustine. The two ways you know you're not dealing with something is by either in that kind of that all push forward or just run and pretend it didn't happen. Both of those are not dealing with it. God in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, deals with it perfectly. I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen. And yet, I'm not going to pretend it's the last thing that happened. I'm not going to pretend that, that somehow there's not, there's not grace and there's not peace and there's not purpose. Peter, I don't want the last words you hear from me are, are words like, and the one who denies me, because Peter, that's not the end of your story. Obviously, you're here. Obviously, I have a purpose for you. And obviously, when I said, when you asked me, Peter, how many times should I forgive my brother? I told you. You just keep forgiving as many times as they repent. That's the example. That's... That's the rest of the story. I can't sit on that bus for the rest of my life. 
I've got to get off and I've got to go on with it. And I've got to deal with what happened. And the best way to deal with what happened is remembering what God has done for me. So listen, Peter is still being Peter. I I love this part of the text. Peter says to him, because this is what he says to him, I will not deny you, I will not deny you, I will not deny you. And he's so adamant about it. And so Jesus keeps saying to him, Peter, do you love me? Look what the text says. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And Jesus asks it again. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. That's twice. Peter, do you love me? Here's what he says. Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time. I don't know if Peter's not catching on to that third time thing. I don't know if the charcoal fire is enough for him. Maybe he's grieved because he's really beginning to wonder. Like, maybe I can find forgiveness. Oh no, it's there. Jesus is not withholding it. He's not withholding it. He did not die for nothing And Jesus Christ will redeem and restore those he has died for. You need to hear that this morning, brothers and sisters. Your sin is not so much. Your failure is not so much. That God in his greatness with his son on the cross could not redeem and restore you back to a rightful place with him. Peter is grieved, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. He says, you know everything and you know that I love you. And and by the way, for those of you that have actually heard preachers kind of use this text, it is kind of interesting. We don't have time to go into it. It's really not the point of the message. Um, they, They go back and forth with these different Greek words for love. As you know, there's four different Greek words for love and Peter and Jesus are are exchanging two of those words. Um, there is the word for love, which we know as the kind of the word agape. Have you heard of agape love? Which is this deep, unabiding, rich view of love. And then there's another word for love, phileo love, which is like brotherly love, Philadelphia. And what's interesting is, is that Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says back, Lord, do you know that I phileo, brotherly love you? Jesus says, Peter, do you, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo, that brotherly love you. Jesus says to him, Peter, do you, and he uses his word, do you phileo, do you brotherly love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And I've heard preachers say, I've probably said it myself, that what's really happening is that Jesus is asking Peter, do you really love me like this? And Peter's going, no, not really, just kind of like this. So Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me like this? And Peter's like, no, not really. I just kind of love you like this. And so then Jesus goes, really, Peter? So you just love me like this? And Peter says, yeah, I just love you like that. Does that sound like Peter? So again, I don't know if you've heard that. I really don't think that's true. When when you go back and really look at this text, if anything, and, and by the way, words kind of change meaning over time. And I think that actually one of the best ways to understand this is that it is the Christian view of love, and particularly using this word agape love as this deep love that we began to fundamentally change how the world understood love as more than just some kind of brotherly love. 
actually, I really believe, if you know Peter, you know Peter. Don't you think Peter's trying to one-up Jesus on this one? Doesn't that way it is? Jesus, you know! I really think what's happening is that Peter is trying to let Jesus know just how much he loves him and how much he cares for him. I don't think Jesus is playing down to Peter. I think, if anything, Jesus is he's reinstating Peter. He's not just bringing him home. He's letting him know that, uh, that he's always been welcome, that even when he has failed, that even when he has denied, he has, and this is kind of the way I like, I like to think about it, he, he leaves breadcrumbs so that they can know how to find home. I'm grateful for a mom and a dad that knew how to leave breadcrumbs. I'm, I'm grateful for friends and for a wonderful family who has been so kind to me and has kind of helped lead me home, a place where I'm always welcome, a place where I am, where I am uh, not just forgiven, but that's the start of it, but truly reconciled, which is God's plan and God's purpose for us. It's interesting, like what you don't see with Peter, even though he continues to be Peter, he, he doesn't, hear me, he changes, but he doesn't, when, when God changes us, we don't become somebody totally different. I, I know somebody that really went through some traumatic things in their lives, and their life, and they really had to, to come with some, um, uh, with deep humility and, and a lot of apologies. And I remember saying to her, listen, like I see the new you, but I want you to know, I see the old you too. And I didn't mean that negatively. And what I love about what God does when he reinstates is he takes Peter on as Peter. I, I, I see who you are and I, I see that you love really kind of just stating things boldly. And so what he actually does for him in this moment is that we don't just see Jesus being Jesus in the, in the regular time of life and Peter being Peter still really, really bold and overstating things. What we actually see is Jesus being Jesus with Peter. He steps in, and it's not just mundane. And he doesn't just say, it's okay. He doesn't condescend to him in that way. What, what I love about what we see with Jesus is what he actually says to him. He doesn't just say, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, I'm glad to hear that. He says, if you love me, this is so John. This is how he writes his letter to the people in Ephesus. He wrote three letters to them. Maybe this gospel too. And here's what he says. If we say we love God and we do not care those, for those around us, if we think that we've got this disconnected spiritual life that is somehow not related to those who are around us, you're, you're kidding yourself. If you don't love those that you can see, if you don't love those that Alex said shake the hand with, if you don't care for those that we rub shoulders with or eat fish with or fish with, then don't pretend you've got some deep spiritual life with God. Don't tell me that somehow you are treating those who are closest to you one way. And by that I mean like in a terribly wrong way. But you and God are doing great. I hear people say that all the time. and I, I, believe, I believe you're stating that too strongly. I can just tell something's probably not, not right. So Jesus says to him repeatedly, not just thank you for loving me, feed my lambs, he told them the first time. 
Shepherd my sheep, he told them the second time. Literally, first time it's literally feed them. The second time it's care for them. And then the third time he just goes back to feed them. Feed them, care for them, and feed them. Care for them by feeding them. Feed them by caring for them. I, I don't know what, what, what to do specifically. The first and the third words are the exact same word. And that second word in the middle is just this deep abiding. It's, it's the word that the apostle Paul uses in Acts chapter 20 when he's talking to the Ephesian elders. Elders, listen up. Where he says, shepherd the church of God. That's this word here. Care for the church of God. Just like God did by purchasing the church with his own blood. Love them like that. Care for them like that. And what Peter does here with Jesus is not just say, you're forgiven. But you are completely restored to your place. Like what we see with Jesus is that Jesus not only calls people to himself. Have you heard his calling? But then after, just life wears you down and breaks you down so that you break down and fail and maybe even deny with our words or with our actions. Jesus Christ restores something we're reluctant to do. Something that we want to just make sure, well, before I accept you back, here's come some hoops I need you to jump through. And by the way, can I just remind you of three things? There seems to be in this text a loving reminder, and I want to emphasize loving more than reminder. But it's a reminder, but it's loving. He doesn't just say, back of the bus. He says, no, I want you to feed, and I want you to care for, and I really want you to feed. Like you can't use your failure as an excuse to not step up and be the one that I've called you to be and I've equipped you to be. Yeah, but I just, like truly I think they remember. Like that failure was so big. Like I I think I'm just gonna sit here. I, I think I'm just gonna keep reminding myself of this. And Peter does not seem to allow that to be an option. Or sorry, Jesus does not allow that to be an option with Peter. No, there's still a, there's still a very important role for you. Jesus calls, restores, and then sends us to anywhere and everywhere that he desires. You know, it's interesting that the first time Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, You're denying me three times. That's not how he ends it here. Here he says, look at verses 18 and 19. Truly, Peter, I tell you, you can read like in the text in a good way. Now that you're restored, like now that that all of what I have done is really beginning to make sense to you and the Holy Spirit will continue to empower and lead and guide and direct you. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. And he indicated this by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. 
Now you might hear that and go, wow, that's kind of ominous. Wow, that's tough. I, I really think Peter, and we'll deal with more of this next week, but I think Peter thought, oh good, I'm not gonna fail. <laughs> so you're telling me I'm gonna die faithful. So you're telling me that I'm gonna be led to somewhere where I don't wanna go, but I'm gonna go. Like I'm gonna be brought to the end of this life and I'm gonna have another moment where I don't wanna do it and I'm gonna be so tempted to just deny again. Tell me I'm not going to do that again. And Jesus says to him, and you will die this way. And as much as that might have been a hard swallow for Peter, I think he literally thought, I am so glad I will die faithful, Jesus. So where are you this morning? Dealing with failure, dealing with difficulties, wondering if Jesus saw, he did, I promise you. Wondering how you're gonna return to that relationship, to that marriage, to that that, that difficult, complicated conversation with your children or with your, are you just gonna kind of remind them or rebuke them or are you going to lovingly care for them? Or are you going to ignore? And what we really see is that under the kindness and the goodness of God, we've got some great instructions here in terms of how to stay engaged. Gently, lovingly, Seeking to bring them to a place, not only like where they were, but what I love about this is that to a whole new place that they could have never imagined. Oh, the freedom and the liberation that comes from being forgiven by God. That is why he died. Please don't spend the rest of your day or days just regretting failures and mistakes that you have made. Instead, remember the goodness and the greatness of God, knowing that he desires not just to say it's okay, but to restore you completely. I think that's why there's so much that should happen as we gather around this table, around this meal. The Bible says that we should examine ourselves. And although particularly in the first Corinthians text, it's talking about and making sure we're at peace with one another, I think it could be more than that. And one of the things I want us to remember is that it is good for us to examine ourselves. By the way, don't spend all of your time wondering if there's sin somewhere, because I promise you, there is. But I know Christians that just kind of get stuck there. They literally get stuck there. Instead of realizing the hope and the peace that comes from this. Now, I'm not telling you to just kind of go on like your sin was nothing. But do not miss the opportunity that you have, that you're holding in your hand. Your sin was not so great that God couldn't forgive it. Your sin was not so great that the death of his only son somehow could not atone for that. That is why we gather around this table to be reminded that although great is our sin, greater still 
is the love of God, the grace of God, and the forgiveness of God. Let us take the bread representing all of those things and let us eat in the cup and let us drink. And may the goodness of God be the reason why we stand and sing. Please do not let your brokenness or difficulties be what holds you back. Instead, let us sing about, we're not here to sing about our failures, we're not here to sing about our difficulties, we are here to sing about the goodness and the greatness of God. So let us do so joyfully and fully. Please stand.